I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. Joining us today is Mr. Joe Fairless, the only man who wears red besides Santa Claus I will talk to. Joe, really great having you here today. How are you? Hey, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And thank you for the, the introduction that I've never heard before about me. So, uh, <laughs> I, this is already, to, already off to a great start. Yeah, just want just special, just for you. So a little bit about Joe. Uh, in 2012, Joe left his job in New York City as an advertising executive. He owned four single-family homes that produced monthly income. Six months later, he raised $1 million from private investors to purchase a 168-unit apartment community. As of today, he controls more than $572 million worth of real estate. He's written three books on real estate investing. He is the host of the world's longest-running daily in- real estate investing podcast, the best real estate investing advice ever show, where they don't talk about any of that fluffy stuff. And that's just a little slice of Joe. So Joe, you want to give our friends and families a little bit more about you and what you're up to now? Yeah, sure. Um, so a little bit about me. I mean, I'm, I'm focused on contribution. Uh, I'm a huge Tony Robbins student and follower. And yeah, he talks about what, what, um, what drives you. And, and um, it wasn't always contribution. It was significance and contribution. And then I realized it's a lot more fulfilling to be um, contributing in a meaningful way than, um, you know, having significance at the forefront or and higher up. So, uh, you know, my, my whole thing is when, when I die, I want people to say, you know what, I would, I was better off having met and come across Joe, my life's better. And so that, that's my focus. Um, you know, what I do from a business standpoint, I buy apartment communities. I work with high net worth investors who invest passively in our deals. And um, got a podcast, as you said, don't like that fluffy stuff. Our time's valuable. Uh, so we get into the meat of the conversation and and learn about what works and what doesn't work in real estate investing. I've interviewed more real estate investors than anyone else in the entire world. I've interviewed over 1,500 real estate investors, and uh, I've you know I've, I've picked up on some things. And um, you know, we now have over 600 million dollars worth of apartment communities. Um, Ashcroft Capital is the company I co-founded with my business gotcha. partner Frank. So do you recall a moment when you had the realization that buying and holding single family homes was not going to get you to your destination? Yeah, it was when I was cash flowing really well and by really well, 200, 250 bucks a month. And then one of my tenants moved out of my homes and I got a bill for $5,000. And I was like, wait a second, $250 a month. And then times that by 12, and then I just got this bill for $5,000. That math doesn't work. And, you know, you, so basically you're making $3,000 in profit, but you're spending 5000 so you're out $2,000 when someone moves out. So the name of the game is to keep your, your residents in the property. And if they leave, then you got some, some costs. And, you know, sure, some of them could be billed back to the tenant if they tore the place up. But then there's also just general wear and tear or improvements to the house and, and other things. So uh, I, I, I knew, it, well, in addition to that, I uh, was having to keep track of you know, paperwork for it. You know, I only had four homes, by the way. It's not like I had a, 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 a tiny, you know, kingdom of homes. I had four homes and <laughs> I, I was just having to keep track of, okay, the insurance is due on this date every year and, um, you know, property taxes because I paid all cash for one house. I got to make sure I pay them on this date and ma- mail in the check for this. Bill. It's just, just too much logistical stuff for uh, not any return at all. 
Um, so it, I knew I I knew I needed to scale, uh, and there are ways to scale single family homes, and you know have a portfolio of a hundred single family homes and make a lot of money. Uh, I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to buy multiple homes, quote unquote, in one transaction, so an apartment community, and then let the economies of scale work its way up. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, when you kind of moved into the apartment sphere, how did you go about getting yourself educated? I I uh, read a lot of books and I hired a consultant and I attended meetings. So I went to Rich Dad Poor Dad seminar. I went to the introductory seminar like two or three times just to pick up, you know, just some miscellaneous things, uh, even though I knew what was what I was about to get myself into. I, I paid for one of the Rich Dad Poor Dad seminars, like the one that's like $300, not the, not the bigger ticket item one. And I got a lot of value from that. Um, so it was just reading uh, and then also attending those meetups and, and then hiring consultants. How long did it take you to go from single family homes to um, raising capital and purchasing that first 168 unit apartment community? I bought my first house in 2009, October of 2009. I was ready to buy my first house in January of 2009, but then I, it took me 10 months to finally find or, or purchase my first house. And I bought my first apartment community in July of 2013, 9, 10, 11, 12, so about four years. All right. So can you very briefly talk a little bit about, you know, often people talk about that it's really just as hard to buy a single family home as it is to buy a much larger asset like an apartment community. Is that relatively true? Yeah, uh, it's, it, it, I'm, thank you for saying relatively true because it's, it's harder to buy an apartment community, uh, but the rewards are disproportionately larger, but so are the consequences if you mess it up. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so you gotta, you gotta approach it the right way. But you know, with, with, um, with single family homes, uh, there's, you know, they're, they're a dime a dozen. You can probably, if you really, if you really are dedicated over a two week period of time and you have your funding available, you can find a single family home. Uh, and not the case for, um, you know, a hundred plus unit apartment community. Gotcha. Yeah. Maybe in two weeks, but it's going to take a little bit longer and you have to have the right, um, you know, you have to have right, right stuff in place. Like you got to have your money in place. You got to have uh, your, your experience is important. You've got to have your net worth and liquidity. Uh, you've got to have the right team to execute the deal because single family home, you might be able to wing it and manage it yourself. Hopefully you don't it, violate any, any local laws when you're leasing the property or when you're managing it. I don't recommend that you manage it by yourself. I, hope, I recommend that you manage, manage a property management company. Um, but with a multifamily property, you try to do that. I mean, you, you might as well you know, go to you know, Caesars and put it all on black yeah. and you know, hope, 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 it, hope it turns out. Yeah. Uh, and you probably know what the outcome will be. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's not even putting on black, it's putting on your favorite number. <laughs> yeah. that, that would be the odds of success yeah. if you were to self-manage a hundred unit property right out of the gate. So there, there's a lot more involved when you are buying a commercial property or, or, or apartment community. Um, but you know, it, it just takes some education and, and being attractive enough to attract the right people. And when you attract the right people to your team, then then you can put the pieces in place and, and have a successful business plan. Well, and it's about leveraging the expertise of those team members, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Gotcha. So on that first apartment deal, were there any challenges that held you back um, from doing that first deal? And can you talk to us about how you overcame them? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the challenges that people come across when you are starting a new venture. I mean, you uh, have to get experienced people on your team. You've got to have the funding to proceed with the venture and you got to know what you're doing along the way. And um, so, you know, um, with the, the money part, uh, the best way for it, people starting out 
is to write down, um, well, first off, before you, before you even think of raising money, you should look yourself in the mirror and see if you are qualified to do so. And if you have, um, you know, the right people on your team already to help you navigate the tricky process that is apartment syndication. And if you don't, then doesn't mean you shouldn't do it ever, just means you should stop, pause, and then go find the right people on your team so that you're going about it the right way and you're mitigating risk for yourself and most importantly, your investors. And once you do that, then there's three components to a deal. There's money. You got to have the money to do the deal. There's the actual deal itself. You got to have the property. And then you got to execute the execution. So money, deal, and execution. And so starting out, well, um, I didn't have the money and I uh, came across a deal after looking at many properties and I, I didn't know how to execute. So I had the right, had to find the right team members. So, you know, there, there's a lot of challenges. Um, the, the, the suggestion I have for people starting out to solve the money challenge is uh, to get a spreadsheet, write down in that spreadsheet, certain, these, the following columns in the spreadsheet, first name, last name, how you met them and project an amount. And then uh, with those columns, you simply fill in first name of the investor, last name of the investor, how you met the investor and projected amount that they're going to be investing. And um, the the key here is to put in 100 people, regardless if you think you can put 100 people, find 100 people, put them in there. Every no leads you closer to a yes. So if they're not that qualified, you don't think they're going to invest, doesn't matter, put them in there. And then identify how you met each of the people um, by, you know, you can sort it uh, based, you know, using Excel, just sort it and then group them for the different groups of people for how, where your connections are coming from. And then you can be more strategic about how you have the conversations with people. So identify the most influential person or the person you have the best relationship with within that group. Say, for example, in my case, that first deal, it was the Texas Tech Alumni Advisory Board and also um, my advertising professionals, so, you know, coworkers I used to work with in my at advertising agencies. And, um, you know, one of the people who was very influential at, at the advertising agency, I spoke to him and I had a really good relationship with him. And uh, then he spoke to some other people within our circle. And then by the time I spoke to those other people, um, they told me, they're like, oh, well, if Brandon is in the deal, then yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely take a look at it because I know he's physically responsible. And so that's a way that helps you, helps other people do the work for you and, and, and um, you know, it's a warm lead, so to speak, but it, it's more than that. You know, word of mouth referrals are the greatest influencer of purchase intent. So when someone is referring you to someone else, then that will increase the purchase intent over any other type of um, way that they find you. Um, so, you know, that, that was one challenge in terms of the, the deal. Uh, I found that through uh, a broker who I had a relationship with, who I, I built through um, just by talking to people. And then um, the the execution part, I, I I hired a third party property management company. Awesome. So you clearly have the benefit of a nice network from your advertising job. What other skills did you take from there that you maybe have applied to real estate? Uh, I'd say knowing. So in advertising, I was a client services and primarily client services. And so I was working with clients on developing strategy for the advertising campaigns. And um, it, it, those conversations helped me with my conversations uh, when I speak to my high net worth investors. Uh, one thing I realized is it's, it's very important to be myself and not, you know, not pretend I'm someone else who I'm not. So I'll give you a specific example. Whenever I left advertising and I was starting to do this full time, I, I hired a, a photographer to do a photo shoot. And um, it was, you know, the photographer said, okay, you know, come, come to the photo shoot, you know, make sure you bring a nice outfit, want them to get some good professional headshots. And so I did. And I, I uh, went and dusted off my um, slacks and uh, found a tie, had to Google how to tie a tie. I still have to Google how to tie a tie whenever I wear one. 
And <laughs> I went to the photo shoot and, um, you know, we, we, we did this photo shoot. And then I, I shared it on social media and the founder of the advertising agency who happened to be, uh, who, who in, who very shortly thereafter ended up being my largest investor in a deal. But the founder of the advertising agency um, sent me a message and he's like, wow, I, I don't even recognize you. Who is that guy? And he was just saying it playfully, but it struck a chord with me because that's not who I am. I'm not a guy who wears a suit and tie. Uh, when we were working in advertising, you know, we would go to Microsoft's headquarters in Bellevue or um, we, we'd go, uh, well, that's where Bing and MSN, our, their, their social media teams are headquartered. Um, and we would, I, I'd wear jeans and you know, a, a button-down untucked shirt and some you know, tennis shoes, nicer tennis shoes, but still tennis shoes because that's who I am. I, that's how I dress. That's, that's how I feel comfortable. And um, that I, I, and I, when I started the business and I did that photo shoot with those you know, professional you know, headshots, I was trying to be someone who I wasn't. And I was getting, getting away from um, what got me to that place where you know, I achieved relatively, you know, I achieved success rel- relatively quickly. I became the youngest vice president of the New York City advertising agency, and um, you know, I I, I remember, I, I re- it was a reminder that you know what, um, stay true to who I am, and things are a lot easier that way too. And in fact, you know, my brand, uh, you know, I've got the the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast, and it's that is who I am, and. Um, you know, it's, it's wonderful because, uh, investors will reach out to me after listening to the podcast and they say, I feel like I already know you. And they do, they, they, they do already know me because I'm being who I am. I'm not trying to be, pretend to be someone who I'm not. Yeah. I think that's really important because there's, you know, in the business world, I think there is some pressure to really dress up as particularly when you're talking about money, like to, to project this, um, energy or, you know, this, this facade, like, you, yeah, a persona that, that somehow is going to make other people think that you're more important or know more than what you, you necessarily know. And typically, you know, especially you're working one-on-one with a lot of people when you're looking for investors, that one-on-one piece, they can see right through that suit. They're going to see right through that and see who you really are. So you might as well put that up front. Um, you know, and that's, yeah, exactly. that's, I think that's important and, and something that Neil and I have to, to, you know, remember going forward, I have very pink hair and I will go into, a, <laughs> you know, a meeting with it if, um, if I'm required and I don't plan to change it. And I think that's okay. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Man, that's what makes us special. Yeah. You know, the unique, unique aspects of us. Yeah. And, you know, we, uh, when we get away from that, then we aren't as special because, you know, we're, we're not, I mean, by definition, I think we're not as special when we, when we, when we try to pretend we're someone that we're not, and we try to act like someone who people think, who we think people want us to be. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, we're just comfortable in our own skin and we just rock and roll. Yeah. You also kind of miss out on those, like, um, touch points where you connect with someone on a deeper level than that, like surface business level. Yeah. Um, and that's really, I would guess yep. that that's so important when you are asking someone to invest thousands of dollars or, you know, more hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars into um, a deal, you know, they might be more interested in connecting with you based on where you went to school or, um, you know, a tattoo that you have or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so if you don't show that it, you kind of miss out on an opportunity to really connect with that person and you may miss out on the money. Yep. Yep. I agree. So let's talk about money. Um, on that first deal, um, as we mentioned, you ended up raising a million dollars for that first 168 unit apartment community. How much of your own capital did you end up putting in that deal or did you need to get that deal off the ground? I didn't put any of my own money into the deal initially, but then after that, I put money into the deal. Um, so initially it was uh, zero and then afterwards I put more. Gotcha. And um, obviously there's some, there are costs associated with putting together with, with closing on a, a large apartment community and creating a syndication. How did you end up handling those costs? Uh, yeah. So it's just, how it's always handled it's just reimbursed so you know there's there's costs associated to getting the attorneys 
put together legal documents to traveling to the property and, and, um, you know, overseeing things. It just reimbursed uh, from the property. Gotcha. Gotcha. So on the deals now, um, I mean, we're talking larger deals than a million dollar down. Um, can you talk a little bit about syndicating with these large syndications? I mean, you're talking, you know, apartment communities that are probably worth about 20 to $30 million, correct? Uh, 20 to 70 million. 20 to 70 million. Okay. So, um, you know, that's a substantial, you're not going down to the local bank and, and uh, getting a loan. You're, you're a, you're having to, to pull money from investors in a syndication, um, but you're also having to uh, get the deal financed. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between financing a, a small, a single family home or a small multifamily versus getting the financing for a large commercial property like that? Sure. And, you know, whenever I was in advertising, uh, my salary at the peak it started out at $30,000 when I started, but then at the peak, it was $150,000. And I was able to get approved for a single family home investment because I had a W-2 job. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was, it was great. Well, once I left that, um, and, and by the way, uh, I could not as a W-2 employee, um, and with $150,000 income, you know, there's no way I could have been approved for a $20 million property or a $10 million property. I would have had to bring on the right team members. But when I left, I could no longer get approved for a single family home because I didn't have a W-2 income, (laughs) but I could buy a $6 million apartment community, um, (laughs) as long as I brought in the right team members. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, that's just how it is. And so, you know, the difference is, um, with a apartment community, your experience and well, your team, let's, I should say this, your team, your team's experience, liquidity, net worth comes into play much more than a, a single family. Uh, so specifically, uh, it depends on the type of loan you're getting for uh, apartment community, but yeah, you, usually you'll want to, you'll, you'll need to have a hundred percent net worth of whatever the loan you're taking out is. So um, let's say you're you're getting a $10 million loan, then you need $10 million net worth in order to uh, be approved for that loan. In addition, you need 10% liquidity of whatever the loan balance is. So uh, again, $10 million example, you're going to need a million dollars liquid uh, at closing and maintain that throughout the project. Uh, and they can they can ask to see your bank statements at any point in time, and you have to still have that liquidity and net worth. Uh, yeah, in terms of experience, well, you've got to have a team who has already done what you're doing, and the lender needs to be comfortable with them. Uh, so starting out, you won't have that. So you have to attract people who will be on your team. They'll get ownership in the deal in exchange for signing on the loan. Because if uh, someone like me starting out uh, when I didn't, when I had four single family homes, but I didn't have much of a savings and I didn't have any experience on the, you know, and buying apartment communities at that time, I didn't really mean much to the lender. They're like, yeah, yeah, okay, move aside. Who else you got that's signing on the loan with you? And so really it's, it's finding the right team members and attracting them to your team and compensating them for it. Um, the, the property, the loan itself, it's, You'll want to get a non-recourse loan means that the bank can't come after you personally should the project fail unless you uh, break a couple loan covenants. And, you know, they're, they call them bad boy carve out. Um, you can't commit gross neglect. Um, you can't commit fraud, you know, things that, you know, if you do commit it, you deserve to get, you know, you deserve, you deserve to be gone after by the loan or by the, by the lender. Um, and and then you know they're they're the lender's going to underwrite the property uh, based on the cash flow and the business plan. Um, whereas with single family homes, they underwrite the property based on the person who is signing on the loan more so. You know the the person signing on the loan is still important in the commercial deal, as I've mentioned with what were the some of the requirements, but uh, they they look more at the asset. Uh, in commercial than they do when you're you're buying a residential property because 
you know, if things go sour, they want to make sure that, you know, they've got a $5 million property, $10 million property, that it's actually an asset and they'll still be okay um, versus a single family home. If things go sour, well, uh, you know, you've got the borrower uh, on the hook, but you, you want to, uh, they, it's not really a cash flowing property usually, um, or it's not cash flowing substantially where it makes financial sense for the lender to really um, keep it on the books. You you keep talking about team, and for those of us who don't really know very much about apartment syndications, what does your team look like? Is that the investors or are these other people? Oh, I, I I consider I think we're all on this all on a team. I think everyone in the world's on a team together. <laughs> I mean, I, I just I just I just went to um, Lubbock, Texas. I was there a couple days ago, and I was speaking to uh, the they call them the dean's student ambassadors. So the dean has handpicked a group of about thirty students, and uh, these students are are ambassadors of the college of media and communication. And, uh, they, they've interviewed to be ambassadors and, um, you know, they, they help with tours and other things. And, uh, one of the benefits they get is the Dean brings in, flies in speakers who are, uh, Texas tech graduates. And, you know, they speak to these students occasionally and I was uh, invited to speak to them. Um, so I, I went there this past week and, it was on leadership and I had seven laws of leadership that I put together. And one of them was we're all on the same team together. You know, whenever I call Verizon wireless, I, I believe we're on the same team together. We have a mutual purpose and, you know, we all got challenges personally, professionally. I mean, and a lot of the time we don't know what the challenges are for the person we're speaking to, but I think it's just important to acknowledge that, Hey, we're, we're all in this together. So you know, when, whenever I whenever I say team, I mean macro level. That's what I mean, but that's not really what you're asking. I get that, so I'll be more specific. Um, I mean, specifically real estate team. Um, you know, we've got uh, a director. Well, I, I, let, let's let's look at a high level: um, money, deal, and execution. And that's how I broke it out in my book, um, my apartment syndication book: money, deal, and execution. So money, you know, we partner up with high net worth and investors. We also put our own money in each of our deals. We invest alongside investors. Um, one, because I want to, I want to grow my money too, that I'm making them too. It shows alignment of interest. Uh, in terms of the deal, well, we partner up with brokers. Sometimes we partner up directly with owners. Uh, we have a director, Ashcroft Capital, my company I co-founded with Frank, my business partner. We have a uh, director of acquisitions. Um, so he, Scott is his name. Uh, he's responsible primarily for finding the deals and working with brokers. And uh, then, you know, and on the execution, uh, we have a director of asset management. His name's Alec. And uh, he's focused on that. And he partners up with our property management company. So we've got a property management company, third-party management company in Dallas-Fort Worth, where most of our portfolio is. And we have a property management company that's third-party in Tampa, where we where we, we have property as well. Awesome. Okay. And I, I will, will, one more clarification, or one more thing to elaborate on that. Uh, it wasn't, it didn't used to be that clean cut in terms of team when I was starting out. Even when, you know, Frank and I were buying our first handful of properties, we had to have um, help signing on the loan because we did not have the liquidity or net worth to sign on a, a $50 million loan. Now we do, but we didn't. And so um, we would partner up with people and they would get in, get in on the deal, sign on the loan with us. And um, same with, you know, property management companies. Uh, initially, we had a, a couple deals where we partnered with a property management company and they got equity into the, in the deal uh, in exchange we got their credibility um, because they had more experience than us, and uh, we were able to have a you know a good partnership. Um, so you know now as we've grown, we don't need to have those types of partnerships because we can stand on our own two feet. But you know you do what you need to do um, when you when you get going and you partner with people, and then you just evolve. Gotcha. So let's let's talk about time. Uh, what does the a day in the life of a full time real estate apartment syndicator look like? I mean, how many hours a day are you typically um, putting in? Uh, I mean, 
today is Saturday and it's one thirty-eight PM and I'm having a conversation about real estate. So (laughs) (laughs) what's that say? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always working, but I, it's my company with Frank and I doing what I love. And so, um, I don't, I mean, I, I'm definitely working from 8 AM to, um, 8 PM, but you know, there's, there, there's, there's, there's times within that, that I'm doing family stuff or doing other things, but, um, my, my inbox has, uh, three emails in it right now. That's it. The unread emails. And we've been on, uh, in, in, in two of them are emails to me that I, I sent myself as a reminder of something. So I, I am always on top of emails and, and things that need to be addressed. Um, and that's important to me. I mean, communication and, and lightning quick response time to my investors and my consulting clients is very important to me because, um, you know, we, we work in a, a remote uh, a business. Investors live in California or Texas or somewhere else. And we may or may not have met in person. So it's important when they have a question that I immediately address it and they can get a hold of me and get in touch with me because I want the same thing. I invest in deals. I, I have business and, um, you know, with, with people. And I, whenever I have a question, I, I'd like it addressed as quickly as reasonably possible. So um, I'm, I'm working a lot, but I'm doing stuff I like to do. Yeah. When you do what you love, you won't work a single day in your life or some. <laughs> there you some, go. That's yeah. right. I probably completely mangled that quote, but we'll, we'll get the gist. <laughs> but not, yeah, I get the gist. Yeah. Well, and like one of the things I think a lot of us, or one of the reasons a lot of us get into this line of um, work or, or working towards how we make money is, is because it gives us a little bit more flexibility to be able to, you know, you're working for yourself so you can stop and spend time with your beautiful mm-hmm. wife and child <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and yep. give them that time and then, you know, do what you need to do. Um, yep. So you, you clearly have kind of a system down. Do you have any, um, you know, systems that you feel like really work for you, um, whether that's like an electronic system or just a philosophy to keep yourself on track? Uh, I've got a calendar that I go by and then I have a notebook. If there are some things that I need to do, I always write it in the notebook and then when it's done, I highlight it. So it's done. So if it's not highlighted, there's still stuff I need to do. Awesome. Joe is a, is a basic. Yeah. yeah I was I mean, say there's no, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no man behind the curtain there. There's no like AI helping you out. well i mean i have a calendar link that i give people so they can schedule directly yeah if they're clients of mine and then if they're investors then i'll i have an executive assistant who um, works with them to schedule times gotcha gotcha that's kind of what we're we're reaching for um (laughs) so in in interest of moving forward on time we want to be respectful of your time and the listeners time so um you you obviously invest long distance correct you don't um, most of your properties are not in the area that yep, you live. Correct. Yeah. How often do you need or want to visit those properties that are already in your portfolio? Uh, someone on our team is is, is visiting the properties once a month. Uh, that's usually not me because my primary responsibility is not asset management, but I oversee um, you know, some of that and it, it overlaps. But um, you know, if, 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 uh, if there's a group that has, is at the scale that we're at, and then one person's trying to do asset management, trying to find the deals, and then trying to bring the capital, then that's a recipe for absolute disaster. So we all, on, on our team, we all know what we're really good at, and we focus on that. And then there's overlap, certainly, uh, because all the parts tie together. Um, but we've got a director of asset management that visits all the properties and, and oversees the properties with our property management team. How often are you looking? So if you've got like a prospective deal, are you going to look at that or is that another member of your team? I always look at it before we purchase it, but I'm not the first one to go look at yeah. it. I'm I'm one of the last people to go look at it before we make a decision to move forward. Gotcha. So 
you know, obviously you need to be in the States to do this at least part-time, but could you run your business from anywhere in the world for um, any significant amount of time? I, I could, yeah. Uh, time zones would be tricky depending on what time zone I'm, I'm in with investor conversations, but um, yeah, I, I could. All right, so let's, let's uh, finish up talking a little bit about the state of the market and multifamily. Um, multifamily's obviously been one of the hottest asset classes in real estate for the past several years. Um, what would you say to people who say, you know, Joe, there are just no deals to be had anymore. It's time to just sit tight and wait for the market to correct, whether then there'll be some deals. I'd say keep with that mindset and everyone else will buy the deal. And <laughs> less competition. I mean, you know, the, 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 those will be the same people who make excuses for not doing other things in their life uh, whenever it's more challenging. I mean, you know, yeah, the mar- yeah, it's, it's um, historically good for multifamily right now. Um, but, you know, we're not buying cryptocurrency. I mean, we're, we're buying properties that are cash flowing and tangible assets that are proven over a long period of time. So if you buy it the right way, and I've written down, I talk about the three immutable laws of real estate investing. If you just start three immutable laws of real estate investing, Joe Fairless, you'll, you'll be able to read through those. As long as you adhere to the three fundamental uh, laws uh, or immutable laws of real estate investing, then you know, you'll be fine. Um, so I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't try to time things. We just buy fundamentally right. And right now it's a great time to be buying. Um, and you know, when the correction takes place, we'll scale back on renovating our properties or even discontinue the renovations and we'll sit tight in cash flow. We won't cash flow as much as we would have if um, you know, that didn't happen. But as long as we buy right, we're not forced to sell, meaning we have the right financing in place, we'll be good. All right. So to finish up, Joe, what advice would you have for someone that's looking to get into apartment syndication who has a full job, full-time job and a family, much like us? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I wrote an article, um, six ways to break into apartment syndication. And ultimately, it is about identifying what you're good at and then how can you use those skills to add value to other people's lives and uh, specifically other people's deals. So if you search six, six creative ways to break into multifamily syndication, you'll come across the article. One is find off-market deals. So it's really good at finding deals and go find something matched up with someone who has the ability to close. You can get a fee or get in on the GP side or just build goodwill with them. Two is conservatively underwrite deals. Um, so, you know, if you're really good at the numbers, then that's the way you can go and add, add your services to someone. Three, negotiate terms and get legal documents in order. If you have a legal background, um, uh, then great. That's something you could do for free and in exchange, add some value to someone. Four, bring capital. Um with uh, someone who's going to partner with you on that deal. So you cannot raise money just to raise money unless you're a registered broker dealer. But if you partner up with someone and you're on the general partnership side and you have more of a, a role than just bringing the capital, then you could do that. Five, you could, uh, if you're, you know, you could secure debt financing if you have a relationship with certain people, um, you know, lenders or mortgage brokers. Uh, and I don't know how valuable that would be, but you know, that that's a way that you could do it. Or six, help with property management or even asset management if you're local. So there, there's tons of different creative ways you can you can go about it. Those are six, but I, I think I even have some some bonus stuff in there too in that article. Awesome. Got you. All right. Well, Joe, thank you so much for um, joining us today. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you, what's the best way they can find you? Uh, if you're a high net worth investor looking to passively invest, you can go to investwithjoe.com. If you're just looking to learn more about apartment syndication, you can go to, uh, I think I have apartmentsyndication.com. Um, we'll double check it. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Um, yeah, I got apartmentsindication.com. I do. Yeah. So you just go there and, and read more about apartment syndication. If you, you know, want to check out, uh, my podcast and get your daily dose of real estate investing advice, you can do that too. And on, on, on iTunes. All right. And you too. Yep. Always good catching up. Awesome. Well, that was Joe Fairless with the best real estate investing advice ever podcast and Ashcroft Capital. Um, I really enjoyed speaking with him and I got a lot out of it. Uh, what do you feel like was your key lesson learned? I would say invest fundamentally. Uh, and Joe mentioned his three immutable laws of real estate investing. Uh, he didn't specifically say them, uh, but I know them, which is one, invest, buy for cash flow. 
to secure long-term debt uh, that allows you, that gives you the time to execute your business plan. Uh, and then three, have adequate cash reserves. Don't go in um, undercapitalized. Awesome. Well, I have uh, keyed in on something that's completely in more of like the ph- philosoph- philosophical excuse me, philosophical realm, um, which typically is what I pull out of a lot of these. But um, I really like talking to Joe about your identity and how you present yourself and, you know, that, that if you aren't really being true to yourself, that you just, you just don't come across as you. And we talked about how then you don't make connection points with people. You're, you're not able to, you know, connect on a level other than like, I want your money, give Mm -hmm. me your money and Mm -hmm. I will give you more money, which, you know, everybody can kind of give that kind of relationship in some way, probably here are goods for services or vice versa, but where you really create a lasting relationship um, on a deeper level is by being true to yourself and showing those little bits that we can all connect with. So, um, you know, for, for Joe early on, that was in the advertising world with people that he knew there that he was networking with. And then also Texas tech, mm-hmm. right. I'm sure there were plenty of alumni didn't know who he was, but he's connecting with them on that level. And that's really important. Well, and it really, ultimately it comes down to trust. I mean, when someone is um, giving you their capital to invest in a deal, they want to be able to trust you. And if you're not being yourself, people have, people are amazing BS detectors. And one of the the reasons that so many of us really don't like salespeople is because so many salespeople are not really being themselves. They're, they have a, a a shtick that they're uh, almost a script that they're working through that just makes you not trust them. So. Yeah, completely. And that's, that's, I think that's kind of what part of connecting with someone is. Um, you can't connect with them if you're not, if you're not really showing that truthfulness um, piece. So you can't, you, you're not going to connect if that trust isn't there. So um, I thought that was really important. And, um, you know, a lot of what we talked about, you can find in Joe's books and, you know, through his podcast. But these little bits and pieces are really where, Um, I think you get like the best advice and, and, you know, the little gold nuggets that you're not going to get from reading someone's book. Yeah. So how did he go about acquiring his knowledge? Um, he read some books, he got a mentor or consultant as he called it. Um, and he, you know, went to, to seminars, things like that. So kind of the usual, way. He didn't talk about meetups or networking groups, which was interesting because that has been a big one for many of our um, guests. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he he really spent the time and spent some money on, on really um, educating himself. Yeah. And I think that's something that eventually you do have to do is, is spend a little money. Yeah, it's um, you can do one of two things. You can either spend the money to hire a, a mentor um, who's going to lower your risk quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, or you can you know offer up if you have time, um, then offer up your time to an experienced investor. If yeah. you have money, um, then you're going to be offering up money. But don't go to someone and just say, "Hey, will you be my mentor?" Um, because these are busy people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you you have to offer something of value to them. Uh, before um, yeah. you can expect them to give you mm-hmm. get yeah. back to you. Well, and I think it's um, it, it's a you can do t- money or time, and this is where you know you and I have these conversations a lot um, because we don't have a lot of time. So for us, spending the money to help us get farther along is really where um, we have had to make some of those investments mm-hmm. um, because we can't invest the time. And that's, you know, and that's where, you know, some people aren't going to be going to meetups or things like that because they just don't have the time. I know it's hard for you to do those sort of things. So for our listeners who are, um, who have families and who, you know, are like us and just, you know, they want to be spending their time with their kids or, um, you know, significant others that you're going to need to spend money if you want to get educated. Or invest passively. Yeah, that's you know. Yeah, yeah, which we talked uh, about before. So. Right. so, 
How long did it take him? Did you catch that? Well, from the first time that he bought a single family home to that first deal where he got a million dollars worth of investments, it was 2009 to 2013. So about four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know when he started sort of looking into apartment syndication. Yeah. Um, I didn't really follow up there because yeah. we went on some other tangent. Yeah. But um, Well, he, you know, he, he had four years of educating of real world experience investing in real estate, which was buying uh, single family homes. And um, at some point um, in there, he discovered, you know, some of the challenges of scaling single family homes. Um, so I would say, and having talked to Joe, I think it's about a year to two years okay. from the time that he really started digging into multifamily. So. Makes sense. So how much money are we talking about for um, someone to get started in apartment syndication? Well, um, it, it actually, the funny thing is it's, it's actually, it's less about money mm-hmm. um, than it is about your own experience, your network and your team members. Uh, and as Joe talked about, you know, the three aspects of a, of a multifamily deal is the money, the deal and the execution. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have the money. Uh, he had to go out and uh, raise the capital and that came down to his network. Yeah. Um, he did have the deal. Uh, he, he worked with a broker to get a deal and that the broker is paid out of, uh, of the deal after it's closed. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to pay any money up front. And then as far as the execution, that's after, you know, after, it's afterwards. Yeah. So I know that it can cost anywhere from, you know, fifteen dollars to $20,000 to sort of get one of these deals off the ground. However, as he mentioned, it gets paid back in yeah. um, as part of the deal. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times you can sort of roll that into the money that you're, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. investors are putting in. Got it. Yeah. And if you've got a partner that you're working with, they might be able to put up that capital. So now that he's in it, we didn't really talk about specifics on how much money he's putting in, but he does put money into his own. He does. And typically um, what I do, I never ask my investors for more money than I'm willing to invest myself. So if the minimum investment is, let's say $50,000, then Mm -hmm. I'm going to be willing to put in $50,000 of my own money. Now, there are times where sometimes I'm not able to put money into a deal. And it's not because I don't believe in a deal, but it's sometimes it could be there. There's no room on the deal um, Mm -hmm. for me because we are just full up on investors. Um, Or uh, it could be that, you know, my capital is just tied up in in other deals and things like yeah. that. I know in speaking with Joe in the past that that's very much uh, how, how Joe works as yeah. well. Awesome. Well, um, it, this is a full-time job, um, mm-hmm. probably more than a full-time job. Uh, he mm-hmm. mentioned uh, working from 8 a.m. to yeah. 8 a.m. This Here's my caveat. Joe coaches. And, and he's big on contribution. It was the mm-hmm. very first thing he said. So, mm-hmm. and, and we should all be giving back. And that is important, you know, when you're looking at your life goals and, and how you're moving forward. And, and it is important to have that contribution um, piece. And he also, part of his business is uh, contributing by doing real estate coaching mm-hmm. and, and hosting conferences and, you know, mm-hmm. doing things like that. So, he probably has more than your typical person who might just be doing apartment syndication and, you know, and he's got his podcast as well. So a lot of these people are doing some of these things, but I would say like other people in this space are probably not doing all of these things. So when you think about the time that he's spending, just know that some of that is by choice and um, it's not necessarily something you have to do to be successful in this arena. Mm-hmm. So yes, he probably works from eight to eight with breaks in between as he wants to for family and, and other obligations. Um, and that's really a choice for him because he enjoys it yes. and um, not necessarily that he needs to or has to do that all the time. I'm sure there are days where he does, but yeah, yeah. I would still say we're talking at least 40 hours a week. Oh yeah. Yeah. But you know, like I, I don't want to scare people because he basically said he works 12 hour days ish. And I think we all, when we're very passionate about things, like we can do that. Joe up until fairly recently though, was either single or just married 
and that makes a difference, you know, mm -hmm. than having, he, he has a child now and, and I'm curious to see what happens, you know, does he adjust his schedule to account for the fact that, um, tiny people are demanding <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, and like they get, they're differently demanding, you know, yeah. he's still in infant life and, and that demand is, tends to be more on mom mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, especially if we're breastfeeding. I'm going to go off onto a tangent here <laughs> into the mom world. So if you're a man listening, just know that, you know, just because <laughs> my child needs to be sustained off of me that, that yeah, yes, a lot of it is on me, but you should have some, some work yes. too. Yes. No, but Neil was a great co-parent. I know that Joe is as well. And as they get older, they can sometimes be more time of a time suck in some ways and less in others. So anyway, yeah. all that to say that, you know, yeah, it's a full-time job and you get some flexibility to mm -hmm. schedule your life as you want it. So, you right. know, you could probably, so you can make it work. The benefit of working for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. But don't, don't think this is not passive, passive investing. This is work. No, Joe's an active investor. So could he do this strategy from anywhere in the world? We talked about this pretty specifically for a certain amount of time. Yes. And mm -hmm. we didn't talk about, actually, we didn't get that specific with how long, mm -hmm. um, but he could take a trip um, and, and make this work. And I would guess that he could probably choose a strategic time where he knew he probably wasn't going to need to like be available a lot, particularly if he's going someplace where the time, um, time zone makes it particularly difficult, mm -hmm. um, to communicate. And, and then if he did need to go somewhere, he did need to communicate, he could figure out how to do that. And, but he's got a team, which yep. we talked a lot about team and, how important that was. And I think that's really important in, in giving him that flexibility is that there are other people who are doing those day-to-day -day tasks. And, you know, so if he's right in the middle of figuring out a deal, it's probably not the best time to go on vacation. Correct. Any other tidbits that you feel like we should That's all I got. Cover? I feel like I talked a lot. I like it when you talk a lot. <laughs> That I think we're we're getting a little too personal here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Yep, let's hit the road. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels. <laughs>